0: And that's where we're going to be tonight. So let me open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. God, I just, I thank you so much just for this incredible opportunity. I thank you, Lord, um, for what your scripture has to say to us, and um, God, that it is truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak tonight, that you would reveal yourself to us through your words in Daniel chapter 1, and that you would move our hearts to respond to you um, in worship. So we pray this all in your name. Amen. All right. So here's where we are. We're in Daniel chapter one. Starts like this. Verse one says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. And so here's what we've got going on so far. We've got two characters. We've got Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Jehoiakim's our good guy. He, um, Judah is God's people. And um, just to give you a little bit of background of what's going on before we hit the pages of Daniel, that he, God has told his people over and over and over again, if you obey me, there's going to be good things that are going to come from that. And if you disobey me, there's going to be consequences that are going to come from that. And over and over and over and over again, his people decide, you know what, we hear what you're saying, God, and that... Sounds like a good idea, but we're going to do our own thing. We're going to go our own way. And so in verse 2, it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, into King Neb's hand. And at first, I think when I read that, I'm tempted to be like, why? Why would God deliver his people into the hands of a bad guy? Um, Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king. Um, If you read the rest of Daniel, like, he just... He has false gods. He does all sorts of crazy stuff. He's just the bad guy. And why? Why does God deliver his people into Nebuchadnezzar's hand? Um, And I think the reality is that we don't want to face... um, is that God is true to his word. He's true to his word no matter what that word is. And if he, he has made them a promise that if they obey him, there will be blessing. And if they don't, there will be consequences. And so he's just remaining true to what he has promised them already. Um, he's falling through. This is, this is the truth about sin. And when I talk about sin, let's maybe define that a little bit. Sin, I, I think we think of sin in this term... Of, like, sins is the bad things that we do, um, whether it be cheating on tests, whether it be lying to our parents, whether it be all the drinking and chewing and going with the girls who do whatever it is, that is what we classify in our minds as sin. But sin is deeper than that. Those are symptoms of a cancer of the heart. Um, last year, my father in law was diagnosed with um, colon cancer and lung cancer. And out of that, there are symptoms that flow, but the reality is, is that he has cancer inside of his body that is killing him, piece by piece. And um, and so we have this cancer, this cancer of the heart that we're born with, and out of that flows these actions, but they themselves are not the root. The root is the cancer that we have. And so when when we have all this sin and junk in our lives, the... The deal is is that Christ paid for that sin, for that cancer on the cross. And that is our relationship with him. We are a child of God. But when we sin, when we commit these acts that are saying, you know what, God, I hear what you're saying, and I don't want to do that. I want to do this. When we do that, we block off so that we don't have Fellowship with God. Our relationship with him does not change, but our fellowship with him changes. It's just like Aaron and I, were married. I'm his wife. I'm his wife no matter what. That never changes. But our fellowship day-to-day changes. Whether or not, you know, yesterday I had a crazy busy day. I hardly saw him. For the first time I saw him, it was in a group of 20 people that he didn't know. Our fellowship wasn't that great. We weren't really connecting. Does that make sense? Am I still his wife? Yeah, of course. When I don't wear my rings, am I still his wife? Of course. But we're not connecting on this intimate level. When we have sins in our lives, they separate us from God and they, they prevent us from experiencing his blessing. And so that's what's happening right here with Judah. And they, the Lord delivers them into King Neb's hand. And so it goes on in verse 3. Here's where we're picking up again. It says, then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of the court of officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, how long? three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Okay, I've, from this, I can pull three different things that the Babylonian culture places emphasis on. Family background, talks about royal family, about the nobility. Physical appearance, it's saying like they were young, they were without physical defect, they were handsome, and intellectual capacity, okay? It says, you know, they were well-informed, every kind of learning, So let's be honest, Babylon is not really all that far of a stretch from America. That's kind of the American culture we've got going. We place incredible value on family background, and the way that when I was in college that played out was because Daddy's an engineer, so guess what Jasmine is? Jasmine's an engineer, because that's what my dad valued, and my dad's an engineer, so of course I'm going to go to Penn State and major in chemical engineering. Even though I knew it wasn't exactly what may or may not have been most glorifying to the Lord based on my talents, it was what daddy wanted, and that's what daddy did, and that's what Jasmine's going to do. Physical appearance, we do the same thing. We're so caught up in looks, um, spending extra time at the gym for girls. I think it's to slim down, to tone up. For guys, it's like, am I stronger than that guy? We place, <laughs> is that not true? Is that not true? Okay. <laughs> I'm making this up. I was never a guy. <laughs> um, for for other things it's like what name brand we wear that's really important to us let's be honest i did not get up here without getting a manicure that's important to me so physical appearance it plays it plays an important role intellectual capacity struggling with pride even in the christian world that's like i've got to know more bible than you do or you know whatever and um or even just this is i know i'm about to offend half of you in the room and that's actually okay with me but let's face it engineers you think you're smarter than other people you do that's that's kind of just what engineers do and I know that when I was in college I'm junior chemical engineering and this freshman chemical engineer comes up to me and she says oh my gosh chemical engineering is so hard I can't believe how much time it eats up I'm just really struggling in chem 38 and I'm like whoa Wait till you get to junior year. Junior year is so much harder than freshman year. You don't even know what hard is. You know, that's what we do. Some, so what is it inside of us that desires to be like smarter and one up from that girl? It's like, yeah, freshman chemical engineering is hard, but junior chemical engineering is really hard. It's, that is just that desire in us that wants that gratification and in that intellectual capacity. Um... And so, so that it, that's what Babylon looks like. It's not all that unlike our own culture. So here we have Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And, um, and these guys probably are about 15 to 18 year old um, years old. And um, most of their life, they've probably been pretty sheltered growing up. They um, haven't really been exposed to much. And so now you've got these 15 to 18-year-old boys, sheltered, not exposed to much, and you're throwing them into Babylon, Babylon, this culture that's alluring and seductive and has a lot to offer them. Um, I think about Aaron is a country bumpkin, Um, and I know you're looking at that picture and you're thinking, he doesn't look like a country bumpkin. Listen, guys, country guys, when you marry a city girl, sometimes you end up having to dress up for your Christmas pictures. And city girls, when you marry a country boy, sometimes you go four-wheeling on your honeymoon. That's just what happens. (laughs) So that's our family in a nutshell, city girl, country boy. So anyways, Aaron grew up in this tiny, tiny, tiny little town north of Pittsburgh called Harmony. And I've called him a Harmony Hick for as long as I can remember. He was so sheltered. The town was tiny. It had like one little grocery store and a bowling alley. It just, there wasn't a lot going on. I don't even know what they did for their free time. They swim in the crick, which is apparently the country <laughs> word for the creek. I would never say crick, but that's what they call it. Um, so, anyways, so this so this is Aaron. Aaron all the way up until he's twenty lives in the country, shelter, moves to Raleigh, starts his first job. I didn't mention this earlier, but Aaron actually works for General Electric. He's not on staff here with Crusade. Um, starts his first job at General Electric, and all of a sudden. There is stuff everywhere. I mean, Raleigh is like stores and strip clubs and all kinds of stuff, (laughs) bars and like all kinds of stuff going on. And it's just like all of a sudden there are guys at work who cheat on their wives who drink to get wasted all the time. And it's just like sensory overload. It's sort of like when that box of meaty bones falls on the floor and Bailey's like, bye! I don't even know what to do right now. I'm so excited. That's kind of what it feels like for them. Okay. For for Daniel and his buddies, it's just sensory overload. There's a lot going on. There's a lot that Babylon has to offer. And so I don't know much about boys, 15 to 18 year olds. All these guys have already told me I don't know much about boys in general, but um, I just know that they're hungry a lot and that they care a lot about girls and what sports teams they're on. This is all what guys have told me. Um, but anyway, so that's what you're picturing, okay? These guys, 15 to 18 years old, they care. They care about stuff and they care about food. And so all of a sudden, <laughs> is that, that's true. That's true. At 29, he still cares about food. I cannot imagine what it must have been like at 15. So all of a sudden, the king wants them to be part of his little inside group. He wants to train them up and give them food and wine from the king's table. And so the temptation is to buy into what Babylon has to offer. Um, Is it about the food? That's the big question. It's kind of like, what's the big deal? I mean, it's just food. I don't I don't really think it's about the food. in the Babyloni- When I was researching this, it says, In the Babylonian culture, to share a meal was to commit oneself to friendship. And so it's not really about the food, but the significance of sharing a meal at the king's table and what that meant. That meant commitment to friendship with the world. Um, and so what, what does that look like? In Ecclesiastes 6-7, it says... All of man's efforts are for his mouth, and yet his appetite is never satisfied. I think it's not really about the food. It's trying to satisfy the appetite inside of us with something other than what was intended to satisfy it. It's trying to satisfy it with physical appearance, with intellect, with family background. It's trying to satisfy it with all of those things instead of what was truly meant to satisfy In Philippians 4.13 is that verse where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is cute and very commercialized, and it makes a great keychain. But the reality is is that that verse gets pulled out of context a lot of times because Paul is talking in Philippians chapter 4 about how he can be in want or he can have plenty, and no matter what, he can do it because Christ. Christ gives him strength. He is talking about contentment, being content in the circumstances. This is the deal. Your circumstances cannot drive your contentment. It was never meant to work that direction. Your contentment has to define your circumstances. Just that's the way it was meant to be. And so um, so we keep reading and... Um, In verse 8, we pick back up. I'm sorry, I'm skipping over some stuff. I don't even know if it's been up on the screen. But in verse 8, we pick back up, and it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Um, I love this quote by Beth Moore. I'm going to have Patrick bring it up on the screen. It says, Bone-deep resolve doesn't develop by going to church every Sunday morning or going to Bible study every Tuesday night. Important opportunities like this, they encourage us in our resolve, but they aren't enough to create it or sustain it. Resolve happens moment by moment. Daniel and his buddies ate resolve for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They chose it every single time that they had a meal over and over and over again. Um, So, what does it look like to resolve and to be holy in an unholy world? I wish I could tell you how incredibly unqualified I feel talking about this. I was thinking about what would be an appropriate analogy for that, and it's sort of like the guy at the fair who fries cheeseburgers giving a nutritional seminar. Like, I just feel incredibly, incredibly unqualified to tell you what it looks like to live holy in an unholy world, but a book that I was reading this summer by Jerry Bridges called, called The Pursuit of Holiness, which I was totally intimidated by the title for a long time, didn't even pick it up. It's an excellent book. He defines holy as meaning separation to God. Not separation from God, that wouldn't even make any sense, but separation to God. So what are we being separated from? We're being separated out of the world and to God. I think What resolve looks like is resolve looks like, you know what? I'm gonna choose not to sleep over at my boyfriend or my girlfriend's house, even though everyone else says that it's okay and says that it's not a big deal. You know what? I'm gonna resolve not to share answers with everyone else in the classroom when the teacher walks out, because even though everyone says that it's okay and it's fine and he expects us to do it, that's why he's walking out. I'm gonna resolve not to do that because I know that that is not having a spirit of integrity. I think what it looks like to resolve means I'm not going to spend an extra 45 minutes at the gym trying to go for this look when I'm taking away from the time that I could be spending in the Word of God. That's what resolve looks like. It's a moment-by-moment choice every single time. and so I'm not going to continue to read the rest of Daniel chapter 1, but basically um, there's this chief official, and he's in charge of this group of guys that Daniel and his buddies is in. And Daniel says, I'm, I'm not eating the food. I'm not partaking in the world um, We're just going to have to find another way. And the chief official panics a little bit. He's like, no, 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 you have to eat the food because if you eat the food, what if you don't eat the food and then you don't look as strong and the king notices and then I'm in trouble for it. And Daniel's like, just give it a test run. Give it a test run and see if this works. And then if it works, you have to keep letting us just not eat the food. And so that's what they do. And I love the way verses 18 to 20 sum it up. It says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, that's the bad king, And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. God honors their resolve. But the reality is, is that we have to resolve not because we want God to honor it and because we want God to bless it, but because... That is what is the right thing to do. It's to resolve. And so where do we go now? I think, I think we can read this and we can think, great, that is fabulous. And Daniel and his buddies are so spiritual and good for them. But where do we go from here? Because I'm a practical person. I'm an engineer. My mind thinks like an engineer. I love practical. Where do I go from here? That's what I want to know. I think we go in two directions. I think, one, we work on our resolve. We do. We train ourselves to be godly. One of my favorite verses is 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, where Timothy's talking and he says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Um, Aaron and I just got done training and completing our first half Ironman. And some of you are like, I don't even know what that is. I didn't have a clue a few years ago, don't worry. Um, half Ironman, 70.3 straight miles of exercise. We swam for a mile, 0.2, we got on our bikes and we biked for 56 miles, and then we ran 13.1. And I almost died in the hospital, but it's all right. We finished it. The point is, is that we trained. We trained, we trained, we trained. I have never put so much time and energy into probably anything in my life. I mean, we would wake up really early to get our training in before work. We would spend hours on our bike, hours with our in our running shoes, hours in the pool training for that thing. And what Timothy is saying is that's great. Physical training is great. It has some value. But training in godliness has value that has eternal value. Our training, probably when we're 40, we're going to be fat and happy just like, you know, like like we never even trained at age 25 and 29, you know? It has great value, but it's not going to last. It's not even going to last a few years down the road. Reality is, is in a few months, I probably won't be able to even run what I could run a few weeks ago. So it doesn't last. It doesn't have eternal value. But training and godliness, what would it look like if we spent the hours that we spent in the pool and on the bike and on the run In the word of God and studying it and knowing it, that's what training in godliness looks like. So that's one. I think we, we resolve. I think we train ourselves in godliness. We sharpen it. But I think the second thing is this. We have to acknowledge that it is really not us. It is the spirit of God. It is the spirit-filled life that empowers us and enables us to do this. Before I joined Staff with Crusade, I really did not know what the spirit-filled life meant. Um, If I was really honest, I didn't quite understand who the Holy Spirit was or what he did or why he came. I had no idea. But essentially it's this. When you accept Christ, six foot two Jesus does not crawl into your heart. That's not what happens. You get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what causes us to want to be obedient to Christ. I think in analogies, that's just how my brain works. It would be like our lives are a glass of milk. And when we get when we accept Jesus into our heart, um, we get like a squirt of chocolate. But that milk still looks like white milk. It does. It looks like white milk with some chocolate in the bottom. And until we live the spirit-filled life, till we take that spoon of faith and we stir up that milk, it doesn't look like chocolate milk anymore. Or it doesn't look like chocolate milk yet. That's what it... There is life change. That chocolate milk looks different. It tastes different. That's what happens when we live the spirit-filled life. And so in Ezekiel 36, I think I have this one for you, Patrick. Um, In Ezekiel 36, verses 24, it says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We can resolve all we want, but do you want to know what resolve without without the spirit-filled life looks like, it looks like those people at the gym in January. That's what it looks like. Those people that you show up January 2nd and they have got their tennis shoes laced and they are gonna take your cardio equipment for the next two to three weeks easily. They don't last. Why don't they last? Because resolve in of itself is not really enough. They might have the best intentions and they might really wanna get in shape, but resolve is not really enough to get us there. We might decide that we wanna stop doing those things but that is not what changes us. If you'll notice in Ezekiel, God says, I'll take your heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh, I'll put my spirit in you, and then what happens? Then we desire to obey him. It doesn't say, well, you desire to obey me, and then it all works out. That's not what happens. What happens is we live the spirit-filled life, we trust in him, we, we are, and then we desire obedience. Um. I love, love, love getting to coach the music team, and one of the really special privileges of getting to do that was getting them to change the songs that they played for tonight for my talk. Thank you, music team. They are so great. Um, so when, when I emailed them and said that I was going to be speaking, I asked them to play that song that we, um, we just sang called You'll Come because I, I love the lyrics to this. I love, I have decided, I have resolved to wait upon you, Lord. My rock and redeemer shall not be moved. I'll wait upon you, Lord. Um, you'll come, let your glory fall as you respond to us. Spirit reign, flood our hearts with holy fire again. And I love it because it talks about resolve, but it talks about the spirit reigning. And those two things coupled together is what gets us living the holy life amongst the unholy world. Um Essentially, it's, it always, always boils back to my favorite verse in Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the living water, and they've dug their own wells, broken wells that don't even hold water. We are digging our own wells, and, it, and each of us, it's a different type of well, but those wells do not hold water. This. God is offering us living water, life, and we have forsaken that and run to our own things to satisfy and fulfill us, and those things are broken. They will never do that for us. Um, So I'm going to close us with that. I'm going to pray and bring the music team back on up here. Um, So if you'll join with me and bow your heads. God, I just, um, I thank you. I thank you for Daniel's example for what... He was in an unholy world, Lord, and um, God, the way that you moved and worked through him in the pages of the book of Daniel, I'm just so amazed. God, I, I continue to pray the words of that song. I pray that chains would be broken tonight. I pray that lives would be healed, and I pray that eyes would be opened. Would you open our eyes, God? Would you show us, would you reveal to us the ways, the sinful patterns that we're holding on to, and would you give us the freedom to let those go because you offer us life and abundant life um, and life to the fullest. And so I pray that we would surrender those things to you tonight. It's in your name we pray.